Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Well, Mark, here we are in Darwin, Northern Territory, which is right up the top of Australia, isn't it, Mark? And it's quite... I think it was 98% humidity when I got up this morning, so a little bit sticky, and apologies to our listeners if the audio is not perfect. Well, it never is, is it? Um, Because we're sat out on the balcony of our little apartment here uh, at the start of the conference here in Darwin, and uh, we're just taking a little break to have a little bit of a chat. Um, I hope you enjoyed things so far, Mark. It's good to catch up with you face-to-face again. It is good to do the face-to-face thing, and I think that's a little bit of a theme here, Brendan. The the um, the wonderful thing about this conference, and we were talking earlier about uh, some of the recent AVA conferences, the Bain Fallon, and you went to uh, the national conference on the Gold Coast. There's a bit of a um, a, a, um, a theme developing that the face-to-face concept is uh, well, we can't do without it. We we maybe. A few years ago, we thought it was a bit overrated, but um, COVID and a couple of years of lockdown has made us really aware how valuable it is to see each other face-to-face, especially on the balcony here, looking out over the harbour at Darwin. Now, what's what's the raptor we just saw this morning, Mark, <laughs> that you wanted to take a pick off and you ran off to get your bazooka camera <laughs> lens and then it was gone by the time you came back? It was the Brahmini kite, and um, and and it, and it is a, a, a perfect opportunity for us to both bring out the um, the big guns in the, the camera department. I know you were taking some beautiful photos of kingfishers over the last few days, so yeah, it's been a an additional bonus to see one from our accommodation, uh, a target species at our accommodation. Yeah, I must admit I've been um, twitching a little bit over the last couple of days with you, Mark, as we've headed out to a couple of spots. And one of the spots we went to we should chat about was the Northern Territory Wildlife Park, which was, I suppose, about 45 minutes or so by car um, drive from Darwin Central. And um, you were quite impressed with it, weren't you? I was really. It's, it's, you know, not, not that I have any formal qualifications, but a lifelong interest in the philosophy behind zoos and the way they're managed and run always make me very interested to go to various wildlife parks and and uh, see how things are done and to ensure um, to my mind that the animals are well cared for and that one of the exhibits there was a real standout I thought that I've noticed that there's an increase in the number of uh, performance you know presentations where uh, keepers will um, do the fluttered bird thing or maybe have an animal out to attract people's attention so that the pleasure of going to a wildlife park or a zoo is not just uh, peering into those enclosures but also interacting with an animal directly and maybe interacting with the uh, keepers who spend their time looking after them and the exhibit that really caught my eye was the Ulu Sandbar exhibit um, a wonderful uh, outdoor pond uh, of significant size 
um, and uh, really, really clear water, and um, and the the pond had a number of inhabitants which were pretty spectacular, and not least amongst those were the whip-tailed rays, um, which crikey's been, and they were about. Uh, one 1,500 millimetres across and five, the best part of five-foot discs um, and they were pretty keen to get a bit of food from the, they were big. the yes. presenter. <laughs> they were big and I, I was talking to the uh, we were talking to the keeper after the presentation and also we managed to catch up with the director of the park briefly this morning as well at the conference because he's presenting in the nurse's stream and he was saying that uh, Typically, that they do have a, a pay to be able to go wade into that lagoon as well with with the keeper and help feed the the barramundi that are there as well as the rays. And um, it's been a bit—they're saying it's been a bit cold up here in, in Darwin, um, so that so they're not particularly keen on feeding. So they've stopped the, the the pay per feed thing. But I would have loved to wade into that little little lagoon there and, and, and feed the ray there and. Um, just as long as I don't fall on top of it and get into trouble. But um, so yeah, it was it was impressive, and um, I just like the feel of that park. It was a bit almost like an open range zoo, wasn't it? it? Had a little a little train that went around, the trolley train that went around and took you to the different exhibits, and and we we sort of met, we took most of the day, didn't we? We meandered around, and, and we still only got to see half the exhibits we wanted to because. Been us. We we sort of meandered and, and took our time and, and spent sort of an hour or so in a couple of different exhibits. But it was very relaxing. It was a good little um, thing. And that sort of brings up one of the things I wanted to chat to you about. We briefly did this morning, Mark, and I've put you on the spot here. Um, the value or not of, of zoological institutions and, and parks and the pros and cons of them. And I think it's something we. We should have a little bit of a chat about, you know, because there certainly are pros and cons and, and both sides of the arguments, and the, it is a pretty emotive topic, isn't it? And there's, there's people who are very, very vehemently opposed to zoos and, and, and um, wildlife parks and, and those that are very pro them. So um, do you want to have a little bit of a chat about your, your general thoughts on this subject? Well, I, I suppose I preface my thoughts with uh, the, you know... The growing, I hope, the growing experience and wisdom over the course of my experience, like most recent graduates, or even before I graduated, I was, um, you know, it was a dream to just uh, uh, have the possibility of working in a zoo and working with those um, uh, exceptional animals. Um, and and as I've probably gotten a little bit older, um, uh, some of the the. Um, negative aspects of zoos has weighed on my mind a little bit more um, not to say that they outweigh the positives but just that um, they, they've always given me cause for concern um, but I think on balance you know we did talk about some of the things that that make zoos positive or negative and and certainly the one that strikes me most importantly is the connection to wild things that, that unlike you and I, most people don't either have the motivation or the opportunity to go to places where they might see amazing things in the wild and to have experiences with them in the wild. And, and zoos provide that window 
that window to a wild experience. And we know that the protection of the wild is dependent on people caring about the wild. And if they don't have those close experiences, if they don't have those uh, profound emotional experiences, um, then they're not going to care. And the more important places, the habitats where those species live, are not going to be protected. Um, so I think they play an absolutely critical role in connecting people to wild things. And that's that whole connection bit, isn't it? And as we sort of said over breakfast, it doesn't matter how many fantastic Attenborough TV shows that you see of, of, of wild animals, um, seeing the actual animal in person with your own eyes, not through a television screen or an iPad or whatever, is, is a totally different experience. And I think it's a... Yeah, it is a key factor in trying to get people to connect to the fact that we have all these amazing species and animals on the planet and we need to maybe think about stopping them becoming extinct, Mark. Um, so that's certainly one of the positives of them. And, and I think one of the more... You know, I feel for some of the zoos that perhaps shouldn't be around, and that's the, the smaller zoos and those some of those privately owned ones, and and they do, unfortunately, because they're struggling for funds worldwide, and I've visited a few zoos over the years in different countries, and especially the smaller private ones, and it's a little bit sad with some of them in that they really struggle to get visitors through and that there might be just one family that, that, that have this zoo, and, and uh, as a general rule, it's a generalisation, but they, uh, a fair number of them do end up being sort of stamped collection zoos, and and they, you know, they might have one key species or a tiger in a cage or something or other to try and attract tourists to that little, little town or whatever. And that that that's what gets people through the gate and pays the bills and the feed, etc. But it does end up being not really an educational experience for for and, and certainly for some of them not not a very good experience for the animals involved. So. I think it's problematic with those smaller zoos in that they, you know they struggle and 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 some of them are fantastic, but um, some of them struggle just to pay the bills and, and don't have any 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 chance of doing any external you know um, field work or anything. Um, and they're just a, just a, here's the tiger, here's the baboon, here's the, here's the you know venomous snake, and pay you ten dollars. And I think you're right, I think there is an absolute critical mass above which it's just a little bit easier for um, wildlife parks or zoos to, to maintain a standard and below which um, there, there it is a constant struggle and, um, and one of the things that is very difficult to budget for is animal welfare. It's a, a largely, on a year-to-year -year basis, unknown, an unknown quantity for... Um, for the smaller parks and um, and while they might try and budget for it it's often not going to be possible and particularly when visitor numbers are down because of lockdowns um, the, 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 um, the costs to the park don't drop um, and so our recent um, our recent times has put a whole lot of extra pressure on those places as well and it's tricky for the vets who are, who are consulting for those parks as well and I feel for them uh, because they're often then just called out for the fire brigade, you know, the the, the tigers caught its foot in, in the, the fence or whatever, and or the yeah, the, 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 the and you end up just doing yeah necropsies or whatever yeah. for them, rather than preventative health, and they they just don't have the they don't see the greater picture or they can't see it fun wise to to be able to 
spend on the preventative health aspects of it. So yeah, um, but the you know another positive of the certainly the larger zoos and the iconic zoos is that they they and they don't promote it as much as they should. That they, their their um, work with endangered species out of the zoo um, and, and in, um, in field work, Mark. Do you want to chat a bit about that? Well, one of my favourite stories is the network of zoos in um, in uh, southern Australia, Victoria in particular, who have um, have participated in the orange-bellied parrot program and um, and the birds that are, are bred in captivity and released to a captive population. And and while I worry about where that's going to end up in the more distant future, there's no doubt that. Um, that that population of wild birds has been has been essentially saved by the actions of um, of the zoos, and a lot of that, you know, I've been to uh, uh, almost all the zoos involved in that program, and they do not trumpet the 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 role they play nearly significantly enough. I've sat outside the uh, orange-bellied parrot enclosures. Um, and watch people just walk past and not realise the significance of the birds or the fact that the birds are in that location and why they're there. Um, so, and I know that's no no judgement on the zoo itself. It's uh, it's a difficult thing to get people to take notice. Um, but yeah, in this forum here, I've no trouble um, uh, suggesting that um, that that is one of the true conservation outcomes that zoos have contributed to. And we've seen that dramatic change in the enclosure setups and habitats that they and environmental enrichment that we've spoken about on previous podcasts um, in, in some detail there Mark it's, it's, it's amazing the change in, over our generation um, that we've seen from those you know concrete cage sort of ones to naturalistic enclosures where the barriers are, are moats or invisible to the general public and they're trying to also educate on the actual habitat rather than the animal and, and um, try and promote the fact that, OK, you're here to see the, that that kangaroo, but it may be um, hiding in, in, in a bush um, in, in the heat of day and you may not see the kangaroo, but here's a little graphic that talks about the fact why you may not be seeing that particular animal in that enclosure, although you do get at some... It's like the local... One of the locals uh, just heading past here, so um, yeah, um, on his Harley. Um, some things don't change, no matter what city you are in the world, Mark. Um, so uh, yeah, but some people do arc up about that, and that they have gone to the zoo to see the kangaroo with their with their family, and they, they head back to the ticket office and say, "I want my money back because I didn't get to see the kangaroos." It's pleasing though that uh, I think the the concept of privileged viewing has become more and more acceptable, and 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 that shift as we were talking about things like presentations, people rather than walking around and expecting to see every animal in every enclosure now pace their journey around zoos and wildlife parks to attend the presentations that various keepers will put on and that will be their avenue to to get close to the animal to understand a little bit more about it to see it in such a way um, that they uh, you know that they're excited by it and crikey's Brendan the the um those we did we were unfortunate in the usual fashion of my organization that we missed the 
uh, bird, the flighted bird display, but um, those um, bird, free-flying bird displays, oh, every time I see one of those, uh, it gives me a thrill to, um, to see birds doing what they really should be doing um, out of the aviary and, and comfortable with people and the owls just popping over the top of the crowd, silently flying. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure it fascinates me how... Um, few people have that contact with birds and, and how excited they get by being um, so close to those uh, unusual species. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think a zoo will look like in 50 years from now? Right? Oh, that's a good question, Brendan. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping well, the, the perfect outcome would be that... Um, you know that there was no need for a zoo. That that people were able to access that authentic experience. Um, and Safari, um, or yeah. yeah. But I, but I think the practical reality is that the sheer number of people and pressure on native places, and even in uh, Kate and my travels recently, we've sent, been to um, some some very very remote places, and we see even in those places the pressure of. Uh, the number of people that attend there and the pressure on those species. Um, so, so I think that um, zoos will be around for a lot longer. I think they'll take in more technology and there'll be more um, uh, arrangements that uh, that provide that. You know, the animals might well be in some form of cage or enclosure, but um, that will technology will conceal that from the observer. Um, and um, and give a more authentic wild experience, um, but yeah, I think um, that they'll just become more and more polished simulcra simulcra of a wild wild um, That's interaction. That's a good word, Mark. Simulcra. <laughs> I probably mispronounced it. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of you know I'm a bit of a science fiction fan, and I I think in the original Star Trek series there was one where um, Captain Kirk or one of the other um, Enterprise staff were captured and they were placed in a zoo um, and it was these glass enclosures, you know, fronted enclosures and there was a little, you know, graphic here's the human um, and the human there was pacing up and down in front of the enclosure there. It wasn't very naturalistic there, Mark. There wasn't a deck chair and a, and a, and a beer or um, whatever there. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, it would be fascinating to see what happens with these um, not that we'll be around in 50 years' time. Well, you never know. We might be, with technological advances, we, we might be a head connected to a machine or something. Um, so, yeah. So if you have any um, thoughts on the value or not of zoos, drop us a line, vetgurus at gmail.com. We're always interested in, in our listeners' thought processes, Mark. And um, I think we might wrap it up there and we'll um, record another one shortly this might be a two-parter that we'll talk about some of the some of the conference uh, presentations and um, our general thoughts on the conference once we're into the conference and I think we better get back to lazing by the deck chairs here on the balcony markets it's quite a nice view isn't it across to the um, the inlet there isn't it um, and you know if we could look the other way I think we'd be what would be Looking towards um, it's well, it's Melville Island is off, off, but otherwise we're heading what to Indonesia or that's right. Yeah, very cl- we're closer to uh, Dili, I think, at the moment than we are in any other um, capital city in Australia. 
Well, there you go. A, a fun fact there. So thanks for listening, and we'll um, dub over Mr. Outro. <laughs> we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.